Hey, everybody. Let me begin by saying thank you to those who are connecting vis-a-vis -vis social media. I especially want to give a shout out to those who are watching from Atlanta, Georgia. I know we've got some people there. If you're in Atlanta, can you make some noise in Atlanta? Praise God. I also want to celebrate those who are watching from our San Jose campus. Thank you so much for connecting. Can you make some noise in San Jose? <laughs> Thank you all, especially those who are our first-time guests uh, at our San Jose campus or online. We're delighted to have you. Listen, this is the second week of our series, Not Easily Broken. How will we proceed in 2024 in a way so that broken life will not break us? What does that have to do with our faith? What does that have to do with the church community? So, Thanks for joining uh, and watching. There's a three-word challenge today. Be a friend. If there's somebody sitting next to you, just turn to them and say, be a friend. If you're watching online, just type it in the chat. Be a friend. All right, let's get started with our reading. First, there's our theme um, scripture that we're reading from Ecclesiastes. The wisest of the wise, King Solomon writes these words. And here's what he says. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, in real trouble. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is, let's say it together, not easily broken. And then here's the companion text, John chapter 15, Jesus is in his final hours with his disciples prior to crucifixion. You can imagine that he's squeezing in this final moment of teaching the most important elements that he wants them to carry forth. And here's what the text says. This is my commandment, Jesus says. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. God, we ask that you would bless this teaching in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you were with us on last week, you know that uh, I started off by talking about how towards the end of last year, I was praying and asking God what, what should be the focus for this year, 2024. And what I heard repeatedly was this one word, connect, connect, connect. So think about that one word, uh, I, I, let me just lift for a few moments what I think is probably my theme scripture for the year, at least for the first half of the year. I mentioned it last week. I want to just revisit it today. You, oh God, crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. And I love this text because I think it speaks to what we can anticipate in 2024. Yes, the Lord is going to bless in 2024. There will be bountiful harvest in 2024. There will be an overflow of abundance. But there will also be hard pathways. And what God is saying to us in this season, in this moment, he's calling us to lean in and to connect. To connect deeper with him and to connect deeper with others. And to do it those of you who've been around NBCC, as I said last weekend, he's given us NBCC as a gift and as a resource. This remarkable, diverse community uh, in a season that is the most polarized time in modern American history. And yet we are coming together across all of our differences 
following and worshiping Jesus. This is a community for you. So let me encourage you. Let's affirm the resolution that I was asking all of us to make last week. I want to make sure we can reconnect with it. And here's the resolution. Let's read it together. In 2024, I will go deeper in my connection with others. And I will go deeper in my connection with God. I hope you can affirm that from the depth of your heart and that you're ready. And I hope for those of you who've been around NBCC long enough to be familiar, you can say, you know what? I want to go deeper with this unique congregation. And for others who are just watching, it's an opportunity for you to think about going deeper. If not with NBCC, then of course, the relationships that are uh, at the center of your life and of course, with God. All right. Now, here's how I want you to think about going deeper today. Be a friend. Can you just turn to the person next to you, if somebody's sitting next to you, and just say, be a friend. Go ahead and type it in the chat. Be a friend. As a matter of fact, I don't just want you to be a friend. I think God is calling us to be a good friend. To be a friend like Jesus is a friend to us. Uh, I shared this when I taught last weekend live. I didn't share it uh, online, so I want to share this story. It's a remarkable story about friendship emerging right here at NBCC. A few weeks uh, into December last year, uh, a lady came up who had been a part of our NBCC community. She was a new member of our community. She came up, introduced herself, said that she was going through a battle of cancer. She had a surgery scheduled in a couple of weeks. She wanted me to pray for her. I was getting ready to pray for her, and I noticed to my left there was another lady who I had had the privilege of walking with through her own fight of cancer and seeing God bring her out on a positive side. So I called her to come over, introduce those two ladies. While they were talking, I saw a third lady who called her over. All three of these ladies, the, the, the two that I had introduced, at least brought into the conversation, uh, had been victorious with their fight of cancer. And so I stepped back and they prayed for the woman who was a new partner with our community. I checked in with her later and she said that these two ladies, her brand new faith-filled friends, walked with her, sent her scripture, sent her prayers, encouraged her. And the night just before the surgery, when I talked to her, she said, oh, I'm so full of strength and faith provided by those new friends of mine. I'm ready to go. She went through the surgery, came out wonderful on the other side. Now, from that, anytime she thinks about her surgery, she's going to remember these two ladies, these two friends that God put into her life because she was at NBCC. Faith-filled friends. They are now part of her story. And that is what God wants for so many of us who are connected in and out of this wonderful community. He says, no, I want you to lean in. And here's how I want you to lean in. I want you to be a friend, a good friend. Now, some people say, well, I've been looking for friends and I can't find any friends. I didn't say look for a friend. I said, be a friend. Find people to be a friend to. And here's a great community to do so. That's exactly what... King Solomon is talking about in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the power of friendship. Notice what he says. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. He's talking about the power of friendship. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. That is the power of friendship versus 
being in isolation, being without friends. But someone who falls alone, he says, is in real trouble. Jesus is talking about the power of friendship, a Jesus-like friendship. So it's elevated, right? It's, it, this is part of why I say be a good friend. I, I should say it more like this. Be a Jesus-like friend. Here's what he says to his disciples. Last teaching. It boils down to love and relationships wrapped up in friendship. You would think that he would say, you know, that we'd find in this text uh, notions about him being Savior and Lord and Redeemer. He's all those things. And he wants us to relate to him all these ways. But at the center of it, this remarkable call to friendship. Look what he says. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love. He's referring to his crucifixion now. No greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he says to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. Well, what are you commanding? Well, I just told you. This is my command. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. In other words, be a friend to one another in the same ways that I have been a friend to you. And I want to suggest to you that if we are friends to each other in, in the same way that Jesus has been friends to us, that's transformative to others. And it's a tremendous blessing to ourselves. And it anchors us in relationships that carry us forward through tough times and good times. Here's an insight. Write it down, perhaps. Friendship is a vital, underlying element in all meaningful relationships. You name the relationship, and I suggest to you that there is a component of that relationship that, is, that has to do with friendship, that is hidden in there somewhere. And so here's how I like to say it. If you know how to be a very good friend, it equips you to do it for any relationship that you're in. If you know how to be a very good friend, it makes you a better boss. It makes you a better classmate. If you know how to be a very good friend, it makes you a better spouse, a very significant other. If you're in a romantic relationship dating, uh, it makes you a better parent for especially adult kids and vice versa. If you know how to be a very good friend, makes you a better sibling. And the list goes on and on and on. So here is the question. What are the elements of friendship that we should be reproducing in our lives that we see in Jesus? Because this is what he's charging us with. Be a Jesus-like friend. And if you're that, it transforms your world transforms your life, and it has the power to change the world while anchoring you and carrying you through difficult and good times together. All right, let's look at the elements. Let's go back to the text, and I'm just going to hammer away at this text. All these elements come straight from this text. Jesus says, okay, here's my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. You are my friends if you do that. Can you say love? The first element in a relationship to a first element of being a Jesus-like friend is love. The word, Greek word there is agape. Essentially, Jesus is saying, agape one another in the same way that I have agaped you. It is this unselfish, 
unconditional love that focuses on the other. Here's how I put it here. Uh, in the context of friendship, it is an unconditional concern for the well-being of others. Here's one very practical example of what that looks like in our relationships. I've got a young man that I've been mentoring recently, and because of some uh, challenges he's been to, I've, you know, I've got him connected to a therapist, and they're doing some work together, and we're doing some work together. He's a fantastic young man. I love him to death. And uh, the other day we talked, and I said, what did you get out of your therapy session? He said, well, she told me I need to talk less and listen more. <laughs> Great advice, I said. Some of us need to hear that. Because some of us, we call ourselves good friends. But in most of our conversations, we're doing most of the talking. And most of the talking about our needs and our interests and what concerns us. And very little curiosity or concern about the other. And sometimes we're calling ourselves good friends. But I just want to say to you that we're only good friends in our own imaginations. If, in fact, that is the case. Say this with me. Talk less Listen more. Now, here's another way to talk about this agape love. I, I provided this definition last week. I just want to return to it. I just love it because it is a wonderful expression of the kind of Jesus love that defines the friendship he models. Love is a rugged commitment. Can you say rugged commitment? Rugged commitment means a stick to itness that I'm going to go through hell or high water, I'm going through it with you. I'm with you and for you. A rugged commitment to be with you and for you, no matter what. This, I believe, is the essence of friendship. This is, of course, what we find Jesus doing ultimately when he dies on the cross. He says, look, I'm in this thing with you. And, and by the way, I am for you so much so that I'm going to pour out my life on Calvary's cross, grow through horrific violence on the cross and death and resurrection. So don't you ever let anyone say to you that Jesus is not for you. He is. The first element we have to grapple with as we think about being a good friend inside of NBCC, inside of our relationships. It's love, agape, being concerned about the other. Now, this is the weekend that we're thinking about and commemorating Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., remembering, reflecting on his legacy. It's a good time to also remember, as I like to say each year, he's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And for so many people, uh, across the country and the world, uh, you may wrestle with whether or not Christianity and the church and the stuff we teach has any real-world power. If that's your question, check out the Civil Rights Movement as Dr. King led it. The church was at the very center of it. The agape love that I finished, just finished talking about, that Jesus taught and released into the world, was at the very center of it. This whole notion of a movement powered by nonviolence came out of this space of Dr. King who taught, love your enemies. That's what Jesus taught. That's the power of the Christian faith. And what we just talked about, love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Agape, agape, agape. It changed the world. But another way for us to think about the power that was unleashed through what Dr. King did in the world is to think about the fact that he actually modeled, come on now, the elements 
that Jesus taught when it came to friendship. And that friendship was a huge part of the power that changed the world. All right, let me give you a quick example, quick story. Uh, in, uh, 19, <clears throat> in 1965, March of 1965, Salmon, was the, Salmon, Alabama was the center of the civil rights fight over voter rights access for African Americans. 600 people had mobilized themselves. They were prepared to march from Selman, Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. They had to go across a bridge called Edmund Pettus Bridge. When they got to the crest of the bridge, tons of highway patrolmen and, and just really a vigilante group that had been deputized with sticks and bottles and all kinds of stuff brutalized those marchers in the worst kind of way, so much so that that day was called Bloody Sunday. Dr. King had left Selma. He returns, comes back immediately. And Taylor Branch, who writes Parting of the Water, records that when Dr. King was asked a simple question, what are you going to do in response to this? He says, well, I'm going to put out a call for help. In, in simple words, he says, I'm going to call on some friends. And so he puts together a call that's printed up in all the major newspapers. And here's a portion of what it says. No American is without responsibility. All are involved in the sorrow that rises from Selma to contaminate every crevice of our national life. The people of Selma will struggle on for the soul of the nation. But it is fitting that all Americans help to bear the burden. So I call, therefore, on clergy of all faith. He's calling on his friends of all faith and representatives of every part of the country to join me for a minister's march to Montgomery on Tuesday, March the 9th. And immediately the next day, people, clergy from across faith traditions in an unprecedented way begin to respond they were Episcopalian priests and Presbyterian ministers and Roman Catholic nuns. They were Unitarian religious leaders. They were United Methodists and AMB Zion, standing side by side with Baptists and others. Here's what the great uh, the, the modern historian Jonathan Egg writes about that occasion. Hundreds of religious leaders poured into Selma in response to King's appeal, some of them driving through the night to arrive in time just in time for the Tuesday protest, coming without so much as a change of clothes. These are friends responding. These are people who said, we're going to be with and for the African-Americans in Selma. We're going to be with and for those who are willing to stand up for justice in Selma. That's friendship. You know, as I thought about this, I can't help but think about the song, You've Got a Friend, written by Carol King back in the 70s. Here's what it says. And just think about what you just heard. Listen to the lyrics. When you're down and troubled and you need some love and care and nothing, nothing is going right, you just call out my name. And you know, wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call and I'll be there. You know what? Because you've got a friend. You see, at the very heart of the civil rights movement was this, 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 this coming together of the power of friendship. Jesus calls us 
to be friends. Well, the victory of Selma came when Dr. King would ultimately lead the march with his friends, 25,000 friends across race and ethnicity and faith. Not only Christians, but Rabbi Abraham Joshua Herschel would be a part of that march along with the Jewish community. And out of this effort ultimately would come the Civil Rights Act of 1965, tearing down all of the barriers that stood in the way of African Americans voting freely. The power of friendship unleashed literally changed the world. Can you just say, wow. And so Jesus says to you, be a friend. First element we've talked about, we see it, love. Then let's go back to the text. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command. At the heart of that statement, Jesus is talking about faithfulness. If you really want to be, if I really want to be, if we really want to be Jesus-like friends inside of our various relationships, we've got to be faithful. You know how to find faithful? Showing up for others. Being there when they need you. Back to that statement. It's about being with and for. Friendship. Dr. King suggested that Ralph Abernathy was perhaps his best friend in the world. I would say next to Coretta, who stood beside him as his wife. And uh, we learn that Dr. King would ultimately go to jail 29 times over the course of 12 years fighting for civil rights. And yet historians tell us that he never got used to it. The isolation literally frightened him. His very good friend, Ralph Abernathy, understood this. And here's what Jonathan Eag uh, writes about uh, that, the, the power of friendship. Abernathy would try to get arrested. You see this? Abernathy would try to get arrested along with King. And it goes on to say, Abernathy, acts of civil disobedience were acts of love also. Why? Because he knew his friend. He knew that his friend needed a friend. This is a reminder that, that at the heart of faithfulness is what Jesus taught, that we are to show up and be there for people, weep with those who need to be, those who are weeping, and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Can somebody say faithfulness? And then when we look at the verse 13, Jesus says, there's no greater love than one who will lay down his life for one's friend. He's talking about his crucifixion. He's talking about giving up his precious life to save and redeem ours. He's talking about prioritizing you and me over his own life. All right, can you say sacrifice? That is the third element. Love, faithfulness, and sacrifice. We are called to when we seek to be good friends, Jesus-like friends. You know what sacrifice means? To give up personal preference for the other. That is what Jesus did. We see this modeled in the life of uh, Coretta Scott King. When she met Dr. King, uh, she was, had more experience of being an activist than he did. But ultimately, she was on a journey towards becoming a concert vocalist. 
but feeling the call to be in partnership with him. See, sacrificed all of that, became his wife. In January 1956, she was in the house with their youngest baby uh, and a friend, and somebody threw a bomb up on the porch. It exploded, blew up a huge portion of the front of the house. She and the baby and the friend were safe. Within 24 hours, her father showed up along with Dr. King's father, and her father said to her, come on, I'm taking you and that baby. We're going back home where it is safe. And she said, absolutely not. She says, no, 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 no. Even in her own sense, she said, even if she has to die, she was staying with her husband. They were called into this work together, willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. Here's, here's what, how one writer puts it. Coretta told her sister that her faith became more real for her after the bombing. Her prayers took on a different meaning. She began to pray like this, Lord, I've done all that I can do, believing that we are right. Now, I leave it up to you. She went on to express that if I die, and if my husband should die for your cause, for trying to bring your kingdom to the earth, then there is no nobler of a death. And she would later say, that she recognized that her unique role was to be love and support and partner with Dr. King in a way that no one else could, and it was married her great sacrifice. I just want to say this very clearly. Listen, it is impossible for you to be self-centered, selfish, self-absorbed, and a good friend. It is impossible for me to be self-centered, self-absorbed, and at the same time, a good friend. Those two things don't go together. We can call ourselves good friends, but if it's all about us all of the time, we're only fooling ourselves. Is this an area that we need to grow in, that you need to grow that we should grow in? Sacrifice. And then look what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. We will speak the truth in love and look at the goal of it. Growing in every way more and more to be just like Christ, who is the head of the body of the church. In other words, we speak the truth in love to those that we love. Watch this, so that we can spur on maturity. All right. So here's yet another element of what it means to be a Jesus-like friend. Be honest. Speak the truth. But speak the truth without trying to control the outcome, without trying to manipulate or force an outcome. But if you're called to speak the truth to a friend, to help them to become more healthy, or whatever the case might be, speak the truth. All good friends need friends who will speak the truth. One of Dr. King's friends was a fellow by the name of Bayard Rustin. Ray Yustin was one of his key strategists and a dear friend, but he was also an African-American gay man, uniquely so. Uh, 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 what I'm trying to say, in that cultural period of time, that was a big deal. And Dr. King's theology and cultural context meant that he would not affirm homosexuality. But that didn't stop him from being a good friend and having Bayard on his team. Because he models this love that Jesus is talking about, right? Where we can love across differences. It's a good teaching point here, right? That is, that we don't have to agree with every aspect of everybody's life in order to build bridges of love and to care for one another and to ask each other's gifts as friends. 
And so after the bombing, Dr. King had armed guards who were who uh, stood guard around almost 24-7 around his house. At night, they had, it was well lit up. Mr. Rustin came one night. He saw all of that and walked in the house. Dr. King had a gun in his house. And they talked all night with Rustin saying to Dr. King, listen, you can't be the prophet of nonviolence with people outside guarding you with guns and having a gun in your house. And you can imagine the wrestling that Dr. King was doing and back and forth. But within the next 24 hours, the guns were gone. Dr. King made a different decision because he had a friend who was willing to speak the truth without trying to control the outcome in love. So here's where we want to end. Let's hear what Jesus says one more time about what it looks like to be a Jesus friend, to be a good friend, to release that power that can change the world and anchor your life during good times and bad times. There's no greater love than one who will lay down one's life for a friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. He's talking about his crucifixion. And the reason why Jesus is dying on the cross is to facilitate forgiveness for you and for me. And so the fifth element is simply forgiveness. We have to know how to practice forgiveness. You know, I, I said a few nights ago at our refresh, uh, online gathering that if somebody borrows $1,000 from you, and this is a great example of what I'm talking about. They are good friends of yours. They say, can, we borrow, can I borrow $1,000? You loan them $1,000. They say, I'll pay you back in two weeks. Six weeks come. You don't see them. You have to finally track them down. And here's what forgiveness looks like in that context. You simply say to them, listen, guy, you don't have to pay me back my $1,000. You no longer owe it. I have written that debt off. But it also suggests that at the end of the day, you see, you let go of the need to get the payment back, but you also reshape expectations and boundaries. And so you make the conviction. You may say to this person, in the future, if you ask me to loan you some money, I just want you to know I'm not going to loan you any money. I may gift you some money, or I may choose not to give any money, but no more loans. Now let's move that out of the side. Let's go ahead and be friends. Forgiveness. You know, when Dr. King used to think about, uh, you know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looks down at the foot of the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. He's talking about the people killing him. That's what Jesus is talking about from the cross. For they do not know what they're doing. And Dr. King ultimately says that when Jesus does that, he teaches us that the people who were killing Jesus were not bad people, but they were blind people. And it was a way that he internalized the love and the forgiveness of Jesus that empowered him to lead a nonviolent movement that was designed to turn enemies also into friends. So in the end, Dr. King challenges all of us to be a friend like Jesus. To be a friend like Jesus. And, that, and that, what does that mean? That means to exercise a love that cares for others. Talk less, listen more. It means to show up for people who need you to show up. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're in financial distress and you can make a difference. It, 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 it means to show up at that game of that, that young person who is looking for your support. It means to show up, to be there, to be faithful. 
It means to be willing to sacrifice, put the preference of others ahead of your own. I'm talking about what it means to be a best friend, a good friend, a Jesus-like friend. It means to be willing to forgive, to recognize that in the best of us, there's some bad stuff. In the worst of us, there's some good stuff. And that we all need the grace of God to cover our lives. So be a friend like Jesus. And at the end of the day, I'm going to conclude by saying, be a friend with faith. You know, as you think about the civil rights movement, there were some ups and some downs. There were some victories and then there were some losses. But all along the way, they would sing this song, we shall overcome, we shall overcome. It was their way of articulating that they had a faith, that they were not in this fight by themselves, that they had a faith that somehow God had called them to this work and that somehow they would overcome. Today, I conclude this message by saying this is a broken world in which we're in. This is a tough world in which we're in. So much toxicity, so much pain, so much hurting. And it may be difficult for you to believe this, but I want to say to you, I believe that we shall overcome. I believe we shall overcome, not because some political party is going to win, some political candidate is going to believe. I don't think we're going to overcome because of politics. I believe we shall overcome, not because I believe in the tyranny of education that will reach some educational level and somehow humanity will be transformed to be uh, a place of justice. No, no, no. I believe we shall overcome because Jesus believed so much that we would overcome, that he was willing to die for us pour out his blood on Calvary's cross to go through death and resurrection, believing that somehow the power of his redemptive friendship would make a difference in the course of human history. And if Jesus believed it, I believe it. See, I believe that we shall overcome because I believe the words of the great prophet that the day will come when God will write his law of love in the heart of every person and our hearts of stone will turn to hearts of flesh. I believe we shall overcome. Do you believe it? I believe it because I believe that the victory that Jesus won will one will somehow speed up that day when we will hear the echo across eternity declaring that God has made his home with people and that he has made all things new. I believe that we shall overcome because I believe in Jesus and in the work that he did on Calvary and in his faith and in his power released in us. And that Jesus, well, He's come to be a friend to you and to me and to call us to be in friendship relationship with each other. That through that redemptive power of friendship, we might make of an old world a new world. God bless you. Be a friend.